Hello and welcome to System.Debug. We're your hosts. I'm Megan Essa. And I am S-Force be with you. And today we have a very special guest, Paul McCollum. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. So first, let's start with our usual announcements. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love when that happens. Technology <laughs> issues. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So uh, announcements. So just be aware that we do have some upcoming Salesforce events. Uh, so there is the consultancy dreaming. Uh, it just happened. So make sure to check out the, uh, the sessions from that, as well as the fact that we have uh, on the 30th, uh, there is the COE event that is coming up. And there is the Equality Summit that is coming up at the end of the month as well. So two super fun events going on. And uh, I know that I'll be speaking at the uh, COE event on the 30th and then at the Equality Summit, I'll be attending and I can't wait to see what's going on there and see how we can bring more inclusion into the workplace. So yeah, uh, now as for Paul, Paul, tell us about yourself. Do you like long walks on the beach? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> That's it. Yes, definitely. Long walks on the beach, long, long, uh, long sitting in the waves. That's one of my favorite uh, vacation events, just going out and being uh, rocked oblivious uh, by waves. So beaches are definitely my happy place. Good call. Why don't you give us like the, the quick uh, elevator pitch about who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Paul McCollum. I'm at UXaholic on Twitter. Uh, I am a, an enterprise architect and Salesforce Architect. So I have been programming since 1978. I started uh, way back in the second grade uh, and I have not let go of a computer since then. So if there's a uh, language out there, I've probably at least written hello world in it. Um, if there's a gadget that runs on electricity or batteries, I've probably had one of them. Uh, my uh, technology graveyard is a is, uh, uh, a nice timeline of, of uh, things that have been creative and innovation. So I, yeah, I'm a technology addict. I could probably have a much simpler job if I weren't uh, spending all my money instantly on the stuff that other people are creating. So, but yeah, that's me, big tech, uh, sci-fi. Um, I love to read and study about the human condition behind uh, web design. So that's where my big web focus is. I have, uh, I'm very proud of my master certification from Nielsen Norman Group, um, which goes through a lot of psychology of how people are, are uh, engaging with the web and uh, computer human interface factors. So that's a big passion and usually what you'll catch me reading about or uh, studying whenever I'm not working. It's a long wow. time to have been programming. <laughs> so I've definitely got some questions about what programming language you might have been doing in the second grade, but why don't you start <laughs> us out first with, um, tell us a little bit about um, uh, what your, the initials behind your name UXMC stands for. That's not a uh, armed services branch, correct? No, no, that's not USMC. That's my dad. Now UXMC <laughs> is the user experience master certification uh, from Nielsen Norman. Uh, so that's, it took me, I think, three years to get that cert, going to different conferences, attending their seminars, and passing their exams. 
to get that certification. So interaction design uh, and mobile web specialties. But uh, the certification was, was nice. The people that are interested in that study uh, and passionate at that level of fringe, you know, trying to figure out uh, how much easier to make website design or web interface controls uh, to be the most uh, conducive to use is really fun. And there's some, there's some neat stuff in there. I think my, my favorite example to tell people about UX engineering is uh, Amazon and there's a, and it's either Kurt's law or Kurtzhoff's law. One of those is a chemistry principle, but um, mega menus like fly out menus where you mouse down a menu and then the options fly out to the side. So when you're shopping, if you're looking for categories and subcategories, well, the fast people scan really fast. So they drag their mouse uh, down really quickly. And the faster those windows fly out, the fat, the more they can consume. Um, you can do them slow, which makes it real easy. When I find what I'm looking for, if they're slow windows, I can go over and grab them. But if I can't scan quickly, I can't find what I want. If I, if I can scan quickly, I miss my click and I get frustrated. So there's an angle and speed of the mouse uh, JavaScript that's going on behind the scenes so that as you're scanning down, if you're getting close to something, it stops and pauses. And so you can overscroll and that menu, wherever you change directions will still stay up. And so there's a whole set of JavaScript libraries that are trying to manage and maintain high scanning speed and hints of trajectory towards I found what I want. Um, and that's just some of the kind of fascinating stuff you find behind the scenes when you, uh, you know, looking at millions of clicks and every click counts and um, making things as easy as possible is a, an actual constant endeavor that you don't actually get to dive into that level whenever you're building on a day-to-day -day basis. Wow. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> uh, nice. No, that's... Uh... So, um... And speaking of user experience, there is that new Salesforce user experience certification. If you don't have it, you should check it out. Um, I took that exam post a little weeks ago. Lots of fun. Paul, where are you with your user experience cert? Do you have it? Do you have it? Do you have it? <laughs> it's on my list. You got to go I, Pokemon that one, man. I know. Hey. I know. I got to go grab that one. I've heard from my UX friends that it is, uh, excuse me, it's Salesforce's UX. Oh, yeah, not, it is. not necessarily UX UX. So, oh yeah, Salesforce is very good. I've been very pleased with all their icon libraries, the SLPS uh, design tokens, and all of the the libraries that they're putting out there uh, to standardize interface. Is actually uh, pretty neat to see. And uh, like I said, they're doing uh, good work on putting that out there and and trying to get people to not make up their own. Um, components uh, for interaction. Yeah. I gotta say that's very different compared to with Visual Force, wouldn't you, Nathan? Uh, the switch over. Uh, and Paul, I mean, like just going to lighting and standardization versus what they had before with the no standardization. It's definitely a 180 for UX, UI. It can be, uh, you can go back and do your Visual Force, yeah, from the previous, but it's yeah. nice you can go ahead and put that tag in there for lightning experience Oh yeah, and then have access to all that, like button groups and the dropdowns and stuff like that. That It's nice that they came out with it and that they have those options for Android, Roku, Visual Force, Lightning. 
since lightning came out. I like it. I love that SLDS library. I must hang out on that lightning side. So I probably far too much that I should. Yeah. Um, well, and also something that um, a, a lot of developers probably don't know, um, but it comes out of the box much better. Um, um, oh my gosh, what's the term? Not usability, but um, accessibility features. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aura and LWC. Um, uh, a lot of things that you don't even need to add a single thing to, but also, you know, even in your, your linters and in your console, you'll see a lot of, hey, you didn't put an alt text. It's like, shame, shame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, lot, lot of, of stuff around ARIA uh, compliance and accessibility uh, compared yeah. to Visual Force. I gotta say, you know, so many people, you know, that, that accessibility, and it does come into play in that UX exam, by the way, uh, accessibility, you know, it doesn't really seem to be a very big part of day-to-day -day life. Uh, but if you work on a project that's for, you know, a state or any sort of government agency, you're going to get a book about this thick of your accessibility rules. Mm -hmm. And you will realize that you should have been applying these to every project. Yeah, ask, and, ask, and re-ask. Yeah. If you're doing a government project, yeah. the, the non-functional requirements of ADA testing are, are there. If they forget to tell you about them, that doesn't mean that they won't be. Uh, they will come exactly. back and bite you. Yeah, and I mean, it's one where I was so glad in my first government project we got the book, and then I just started to adjust all of my projects to follow that accessibility. Like, it makes my life easier in the long run. Uh, yeah. and just give myself a pattern to work off of. Uh, yeah, I like patterns. It's easier with patterns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I like if, if you stay within the out-of-the-box system, most of that stuff is covered for you by default. And so even though we hadn't known about it on a couple of projects, it was still just, well, we used out-of-the-box for you, so everything's already done. Well, we need you to do ADA. No, we're not, we're not doing the testing. It's all of the components that we use to assemble have already been testing and you can go show those test results and certifications and stuff but like that. Got, what about your colors and things like that that starts coming to play? Like, yeah. So the colorblindness thing is a big one that I try to keep track of because I haven't seen anybody uh, come up with a good catch there. Um, and that is pretty predominant something that you want to keep track of. Um, you get people that'll really like to put some icon flair together. And if they change the color of the icon, you have to make sure that those color, if those color changes are um, affordances or signals of some sort, you have to make sure that you've managed them with a, within a, a, a colorblindness uh, accessible palette. Um, and that one I don't see as much. Salesforce does not use a lot of colors in their current design, they're usually only like the blue and the gray uh, by default, which should be fine. But as soon as you get, every once in a while, you'll get requirements where we want it to look snappy or sharp or colorful. And that's when you uh, can kind of fall down a, a well on that. Got it. So, okay, now I'm gonna ask, what were you programming in second grade? What language Lo did you start with? Logo, uh, Apple II. Uh, primarily show turtle, which was the, I think, uh, so when my wife did a computer class about 10 years ago, it was called Carl, the robot, um, where you tell it, it, you tell it move forward, you know, or drop pin, move forward, 10, right turn 90, move forward, 10, right turn 90, forward 10, right turn 90. 
and that draws a box and then you get more and more complex from there. Um, that sounds just like what I got those little girls for the, for the holiday season for their little uh, thing of a jiggers. They're a, uh, oh, what are they called? Um, those little soccer ball things that I got my cousin's little girls. They nice. like, they program them to go around and they can do mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And once they pass all the levels, they can get to JavaScript. Um, super Very fun, but cool. they program them to go around in little squares and jiggers eggs. Starting yeah. structured thinking. It's amazing. And it, Structured is and and kind of scripting is is how my brain works. I have, I will blame maybe some of my uh, my aversion to OO programming. I'm getting better at it, but it's taken a long time. But because I I think very scripted and very stepwise, uh, sending stuff out uh, and doing kind of distributed OO programming is a little harder for me. Uh, but I'm starting to get it with uh, better with uh, with Apex a little bit and the help from my buddy Nathan Shulman who's very, very patient. And we have had fun going back and forth on JavaScript stuff. Uh, but yeah, so I started and then uh, let's see, I had a TRS-80 mini that I programmed on in basic uh, when I was 14, 15. Uh, tiny, tiny TRS-80 that you loaded programs on it. Well, I guess when I was 13 or 14, I, was, I wasn't writing code, but I was uh, biking across town to the library to play games that were text only games that you had to load on a cassette. And so you could check out the computers for 45 minutes at a time. And the two sided cassettes played for 15 minutes each. And you had to play it basically real time, regular cassette speed and 15 minutes load, flip the tape at 15 minutes. And then it was about 75% chance that the game, the, the data would be loaded onto the computer properly. And you'd have 15 minutes of your 45 minutes left to actually run the program that you just finished loading. And that was stuff like Zork and so forth. And then I I wrote some programs like that. I was pretty proud of my blackjack program uh, that I wrote when I was 15 in basic. The the calculator, computer calculator had a thousand, it could do a thousand line programs maximum. That was its whole memory. So whatever you could do had to be done in a thousand lines. You got really good at squeezing stuff into a single line and it's, it's kind of tiny. I still have it. It's kind of like back when it was what, 200,000 script executions limit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We got really good at limiting your lines. Wow. I think when I was like in first grade, I thought it was pretty snazzy that I was playing my dinosaur tycoon. Like I thought that was limited and awesome at the same time. But, it makes me sound just, spoiled. When I was 13 or 14, I had, I told my dad I was interested in learning how to program beyond guess the number in basic. And uh, right. he got he got me Visual Fox Pro. Okay. And I stuck my nose up at that. <laughs> it oh, is well. like giving your kid a, a Microsoft <laughs> access when, he, when you say, I want yeah, I I to Pascal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I wanted Visual C++. <laughs> yeah, no, my, I got my worst yelling at from my dad. My dad brought home a 386.16 and my buddy brought his 386.20. And that's a uh, um, old school, predates Pentium. <laughs> um, and we had the thing taken apart and both of our computers taken apart and using a null modem cable, which is basically the same amount of throughput as a mouse cable um, to try and get 
a uh, Falcon 4.0 to play because it had peer-to-peer modem networking that you could do. And yeah, and I, we spent all night getting that hooked up. I think we played for about 10 minutes and then went to sleep, but we left my dad's office with these computers laying apart, wires going everywhere <laughs> in a bit of a, yeah, it looked like they'd exploded. So yeah, no, I, I was woken up rudely to immediately come in and clean up my mess and put his computer back together. But uh, being able to break stuff apart early and young, and then as ever, and then it was such a pivotal time. So seeing all of the building blocks being built in front of you was, was a great education. Some people miss when you start out with Visual C++ and you didn't actually have to sync, have manually push memory chips into the motherboard to get them to work. It's just, you've got to following that rabbit all the way down and understanding where you're creating security holes and uh, what a seg fault means and, and stuff like that. And most of the time today, we're programming on like the 12th layer. Our code's talking to other code that's talking to other code that's talking to other code that's talking to other code that eventually gets to machine language that starts talking to the compute that talks to the actual hardware. And yeah, it's a crazy amount of, of layers in there that have been built up. Yeah, nowadays you're lucky if you get a dwarf name in, uh, in Salesforce <laughs> exceptions, and that's still you know <laughs> fifth or sixth layer up from the metal at least. Right, yeah, with uh, Megan with her Oracle errors. <laughs> she's so proud and she should be it's like yeah you got all the way down to the database i broke it i was so <laughs> proud <laughs> i couldn't be more proud <laughs> i remember when i was playing betrayal at crondor oh my gosh in 94 93 uh i remember futzing around with mscdex the the microsoft dos cd extension I don't know how I figured out what to do there. I mean, maybe I was checking news groups or AOL something, but there was no Googling anything. No. There wasn't even web crawling anything. No, <laughs> you, you were just changing stuff to a one, then just see if it worked, change it to a two. Yeah, see maybe if it I was worked. reading I think the, the manual, right? I was doing yeah. like dash H and crossing my fingers that who knows what was in there. I, you know? I remember making my first website when I wanted to figure out how stuff worked. I would just go to everybody else's site and do a right click. <laughs> and then she'd be like, I want to steal this. How do I make that work? <laughs> right click. There we go. Copy, find it. All right. There we go. Yeah. Bring I, it over I, to my Hanson site. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, think I, I, I think I killed somebody's desire for their career that was a web designer and spent a whole bunch of time uh, building a website for our group at, at the university. Um, you know, spent months working on it, people looking at it and launched it. And I copied it and edited it and turned it into kind of a satire. It became the Spice Girls version of, of that website in like an hour. Um, and so I just I'd completely nice. hijacked it, copied it. it like, yeah, well, welcome to web design where everything is stealable. So yeah, if you invest yourself for that much into your system and you can't see it go someplace else, this is not for you. So fast forward, what were you doing like the year before you discovered Salesforce existed? Um, I was working as just in another platform. So Salesforce is probably my fifth 
or six development platform. Um, I did a lot of cold fusion. Um, I saw cold fusion was fun, very easy to write. I mean, it's even simpler than JavaScript. It's, it was a tag based programming language. So if you could read HTML, um, you can write cold fusion, uh, or if you can write HTML, um, and then a lot of the stuff that you kept building over and over again, reporting, authentication, stuff like that on a, on a from scratch platform I saw in SharePoint. So Microsoft's SharePoint platform, and I wrote that for uh, quite a few years, shoehorned a lot of JavaScript into SharePoint, uh, used it as a database authentication uh, platform, uh, ran the local uh, user group for about 10 years, and then started, so I, I ended up owning the dev platform, the Microsoft platform, and uh, a workflow platform at 7-Eleven. So I was kind of, I was kind of the first layer of, we've got a need, do any of your platforms and your team have the ability to execute this? And it was like, well, no, this is bad for this reason. This is bad for that reason. Yeah, you need to go full custom and then we'd ship it out. Um, but I'd been watching Salesforce for quite some time. And it was, it was a fun, I spent three years pitching Salesforce at 7-Eleven. Um, it, 7-Eleven is a single corporate office that franchises out thousands of stores, but they have a middle layer of roughly, or 10,000 stores, but they have a middle layer of uh, a thousand regional managers and they're called field consultants and they help the stores do stuff, uh, fix sales, show them reports on where their profit is, uh, which to me, whenever you squinted, it was a remote workforce tool that needed to happen. We needed to be able to centrally deliver stuff. And if you looked at the franchisees who aren't our employees, but they're our business partner, we were really selling best practice to them, selling information, selling tips on how to make their store run better. And we, they had really only done things by Excel spreadsheet. And it was really kind of awful how uh, technologically um, not enabled they were. And they were looking at boutique retail management tools, which were built up and built on platforms, but they had all the right names like the store and the location and the regional manager. And I was like, well, if you ignore the labels on Salesforce, this industry standard best of breed remote workforce right once deploy mobile and desktop can does everything that you're talking about. I and mean, so, it's very similar to um, a, a financial services firm where the brokers aren't necessarily W2 employees. They're licensed to sell your product, right? And they're, mm -hmm. they're almost channel partners. Uh, the, the franchisee is, you know, has to abide by a certain set of rules, but they're selling your product for their business. And you're kind of in the same umbrella of uh, that. Um, but yeah, but yeah there's, there's plenty of vertical specific CRM or other sort of software that say, oh, hey, we're meant for you, but they don't do the job as well as a product like Salesforce can. Yeah, and, and Salesforce, and it's, it's fun to talk about. I think everybody agreed they kind of painted themselves in a corner with the name Salesforce because their platform is really good at doing things besides sales. 
Um, and it's hard to convince people, well, I'm not selling anything. It's the platform. It's not the sales functions. It's the platforms that get things from here to here and describing kind of the primitives. Well, it's like you can do a case and you can do, um, you know, migration and uh, putting those all together. But uh, well, especially yeah, if they to- have more acquisitions too, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the product changed over time. I mean, over 20 years, it, it really wasn't just a sales tool anymore. Like you said, it, it became the platform. It just but, makes the internal sale a lot harder when, yeah, when they they absolutely. don't connect with that term sales. Yep. No, we're we're doing management. Yeah, I know, I know. But you're doing yep. <laughs> and putting those things side by side and walking people through each of the presentations. And I mean, I got to the point where I was using like whiteout or writing over uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> PowerPoint decks and hiding the word customer and putting the word franchisee on it, and, and eventually got it locked into everybody's head and. Um, and when it came up, uh, we bought it. <laughs> I love then... you had a whiteout, like, <laughs> like you're a paper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I made it look like that. So I was like <laughs> the thing over so that they very clearly saw that I was just changing the labels and not changing the shapes. Yeah. But, great. um, a year after doing that, the, our count team said, Hey, you need to enter this app venture contest. And they'd hosted, Salesforce was hosting a national competition to find the most innovative thing people were designing for the platform. And you had to submit it kind of explicitly for the competition. Um, and I, I put mine in with, I don't know how many other uh, contestants and was one of the three that was selected. And I took it from, I, I redid the UI. I, <laughs> I basically, for the field consultants, I changed the whole navigation from, you know, accounts, contacts, opportunities, I got rid of all of that and gave them Google Maps. So I pulled in with JavaScript, Google Maps, I put, figured out where they were with their GPS and I plotted all the stores that were near them. And if they were going to one of those stores, which is their job, they click on that store and that pin would take them to a menu system like, oh, are you wanting to look at their reports? Are you wanting to call that guy? So I started everything from a really familiar UI that they were expecting and then delivered them context sensitive uh, cues. Um, and that won me a trip to, uh, to Dreamforce. And then I got to, the, I told Megan, this is how Megan and I met was, uh, while I was getting ready for my session, she was giving one and started talking about, yeah, just talk to your Ohana and stuff. And here I am SharePoint user group manager for multi years. And I had heard about, um, and there wasn't uh, the whole concept of Ohana, the, the wide national uh, fan group was, was big. And so, yeah, it's been a, it was a perfect match. So Megan kind of opened that door for me. And I have followed her ever since. <laughs> Oh, that, you know, know, Hannah still goes back to that, all of it. And, you know, just connecting with people. That's what our whole whole community is all about. And there's no better way to learn than working with others. Yeah. But yeah, exposure to Dreamforce, exposure to all the trailblazers and the the absolute, it's, it's crazy. It is cultish. It is the cult of helpfulness. That every that you get into it, and part of doing this technology, part of programming in this language, 
is sharing and helping others and being open. And they've kind of tied those two concepts together. And it's, it's really fun to be in a world that has kind of a, your technology has a, a morality attached to it. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not one of those uh, ecospheres where it's graded on the curve and you don't want to have a study group. It's the exact opposite. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Paul. Sorry, um, yeah, long, long-winded answer. There is, no, there is, um, I know that we could dig, you know, the longer, the, the longer um, we're in the, we're in the environment and the, the ecosystem, it's like, it's, it's amazing to, I mean, you've been in, so you've been in Salesforce for what, over 10 years at this point? Um, so I think I'm right about four now, four or five. Oh, wow. Well, okay. So not that long. Got it. So, Ooh. well, I mean, yeah, I, I've been, <laughs> if you count the extra four years that I spent trying to get into it, learning it. That may right. that may push me to eight or nine. Got it. Been learning yeah. about it, actually hands-on direct using it, uh, less, a little less. Nice. Well, uh, miles to go before you sleep. Exactly. Yeah. Many miles to go. <laughs> well, let's see, Megan. I, I, uh, uh, the one thing I wanted to mention as far as events coming up would be to um, register for obviously Dreamforce is Dreamforce. in many locations coming up. Uh, so look for that. It's obviously going to be easy to find for everybody tuning in. But then also uh, NorCal Dreaming, a.k.a. Tahoe Dreaming in October I'll be there. in Northern California. Uh, I got my tickets. You got yours? Uh, I don't have them yet. I need to book uh, babysitting and this. travel first. I know. Well, it's only been four hours since we talked. So just How do you not have babysitting and travel yet? <laughs> I'm working on I'm right on top of that, Rose. So working on that. Any other um, announcements? Call for Paul, you're coming to NorCal Dreamin' too, right? AKA Tahoe Dreamin'? Uh, I will try. I haven't uh, haven't set that up yet. I'm still slowly figuring out if I want to go out in public again. But I I think we're going to, my Dallas uh, dev user group is going to go in person next month. So I I will probably start looking for events to go to. Yeah, end of October, Kelly and I will be there. So... Yeah, okay. we're, we're hoping to bring the whole little uh, architect crew together. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I will do my best. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's really all I have. That and uh, I hope everybody's staying uh, staying healthy and getting vaccinated. And yeah, uh, keep learning. Yeah. And thank Always you, learning. Paul, for being on the show. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> all right, me. You want to take right, a cell? Absolutely. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been May the S Force be with you and my co host, Megan SF. And don't forget our guest. Oh, Paul. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you 